Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Yannick Malling of public.com coming to us from his New York uh, apartment. How's it going there in New York? Yeah. Hey, Nathan. Good to be here. It's, uh, it's going okay uh, right at this moment, you know, all things considered. Now, before starting this call, you said you'd just come back from Denmark, which has kind of got, got its COVID issue under control for the most part. Um, why would you come back to New York? <laughs> why not just stay in Denmark, which sounds like a great place to be? <clears throat> I'm wishing yeah, I was good. in New Zealand right now, right? You see the pictures right. of people in New Zealand. Yeah. yeah, I know, especially considering it's a million degrees here in New York too. Uh, you know, I've, I've been there for a little while and so um, wanted to, to kind of come back and uh, we've been crossing our fingers that the daycare institutions and whatnot get to reopen soon. I have a two-year-old son, so, you know, he was missing some social interaction too, I think, and uh, yeah. Sure, got it. Time will tell whether it's the right position, but uh, there we go. I get it. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. So what is public.com? Such a great domain, which maybe I'll ask you about in a minute, but what do you guys do? <laughs> uh, so public makes the stock market social. Um, so um, if you look at why people historically uh, who haven't gotten involved in the stock market haven't been investing, um, fees and commissions is is a part of the problem, but but we've believed always a smaller one compared to um, just a general sort of lack of financial literacy, right? And so that really comes down to, um, you know, when should I get started investing? How much do I need to begin with? How do I build a solid uh, portfolio, diversified portfolio? What does that actually even mean? Mm -hmm. And so we just generally uh, found that there was a lot of intimidation involved with the, the kind of journey of getting involved in the market. And so basically what we built with public is, is two things. Um, we built sort of two layers around the stock market, actually. So sort of at the core, we built a zero commission stock brokerage, mm -hmm. um, but that's really only 10% of what we do. The other two layers are um, fractional investing mm. and, and a social sort of education layer. Right. And so, the fractional investing layer we, we kind of launched uh, was, um, I believe, the first sort of brokerage to launch the ability last year to invest real time in, in fractional shares, meaning that you can buy any stock for any amount of money. So you can put $1 into Amazon, for instance, which really we always saw as like the, the prerequisite uh, to increase access in order to really build a, a, a social network uh, for the stock market, right? Because um, and so, so we launched that last year and then the, the kind of social layer works in a way where you can see what other people are investing in more importantly, why, right? So whenever you go to make a trade on our platform, mm. you can add a little caption with your investment thesis, um, that gets posted to a feed. You can now share it into chat groups, which we launched to, um, earlier this year. And, uh, and so it provides this like social, um, experience around the stock market, which means that the intimidation um, factor goes down because you can kind of collaborate and work with other people on building out your portfolio piece by piece. Very interesting. So if I'm investing a dollar in Amazon, who holds the other $3,154 as of 
current stock price? <laughs> Are you guys a mix of, yeah, no, a mix of, I mean, us and then other people in the community too, right? So, um, so it is a little bit of a sharing economy kind of take on, on, on ownership in the stock market, uh, which really, if you think about it, like historically maybe has not been as big of a problem, but, but in the last, um, in the last, uh, 10, 15 years, um, a number of things have happened, right? I think, uh, companies have stayed private a lot longer. So I believe it was actually, uh, Shamath. Who I heard this from recently on another podcast, who was like 15 years ago, there was like 8,000 public companies. Today, there are 4,000, right? And so what you have oh, happened there hmm. is people obviously consolidate a lot more, which means, I mean, Facebook, you know, was no longer than Facebook, Google, et cetera, um, which then also means that you build up the market cap of those companies, which is why you now have trillion dollar companies, right? And so without uh, doing any stock offerings, of course, you then push the price per share up quite high and, uh, quite high and actually push it out of reach for a large part of, of, of the people um, in this country. So, um, so that's really why we sort of realized that fractional ownership was gonna define the future and like really what is, what's required to um, onboard the next wave of investors um, into the stock market alongside uh, the sort of social layer, which is really, we always talk about it like this, you know, the fraction layer provides access mm-hmm. um, and makes the stock market accessible, but the social layer makes it approachable, right? And those yeah. are actually two different concepts because you can, have an ac- you can have access to something, but still have no idea where to even begin or whether you're doing good or you're doing bad. And, and, and so the social layer makes it approachable because you can follow other people, everything from like domain experts in certain kind of industries to, uh, just friends and, and kind of thought leaders within different things. We have even a number of C-level executives of public companies on the platform too. Mm. And so you can kind of follow people and actually watch what they do, you know, when and, and why. And that kind of gives you all these bite-sized snippets of information that lets you build um, your financial literacy sort of step-by-step in, you know, as long as, while you're building out your portfolio at the same time, of course. Yeah. Interesting. This is going to date myself, but when I was, I got kind of started coming up in the dot-com boom. And that was when that first wave of like E-Trade and right. Ameritrade and all these zero commission <clears throat> brokerages, that was pretty revolutionary at the time because before that was very expensive to, right. to trade stocks. And so these zero commission, and then at the same time you had a lot of bulletin board, you know, stock bulletin boards popping up, um, seeking alpha and various different things like yeah. that. Raging Bull. I remember I was a contributor to Raging Bull, which I don't think exists anymore. But one of the problems with all those was people are, are pumping and dumping or promoting their stocks, just trying to give it a short-term pop so they can then sell. Like, how do you sort of overcome yeah. that issue? Or, or- yeah, so, I mean, in a number of ways, and, and I'll get into the technical pits of how we make sure that doesn't happen on our platform. But, but before we dive into that, it's funny, the problem you're referencing is really the way we frame that is that the culture around the stock market has always been uh, not very diverse, not very inclusive, not very welcoming, right? Mm-hmm. And so sure. there's been these like stereotypical people who has been uh, the people that were the most engaged with the stock market. And I think at the core, that's really what we're out to solve with public, right? And so um, I think we have a, a very different community on public than, than maybe what you'll see with other sort of financial services providers or, or, or brokerages at least, right? So an example, 40% of the people in the community are women, 
mm. um, which obviously is still not good enough, but but I think compared to industry standards, it's it's pretty, um, it's a lot more sort of mixed bag of people. And the interesting thing is the reason that it's important to us is again, because we're building it like a social network, right? So having diversity of thought, yeah. is actually very, very important to increase the value that the community provides, right? Um, and that's also where, you know, when you have diversity of thought, um, you start to kind of go counter against um, if we just build the community with the same type of person and then just like only that kind of person involved because then it would be much more a community where everybody was just like patting each other in the back and, and, and then you end up with those, some of those scenarios. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is, you know, so, so I think the culture and obviously uh, people should go and experience that for themselves. But, but the number one thing we get more than anything from, from the members of our community is that they just appreciate the fact that we build and a culture unlike I think any other financial community has ever really built that is a mm. lot more welcoming and therefore something they can actually learn from. Um, but there was a couple of things there that was like, because we obviously thought about the problem that you were referring to um, mm. up front before diving in. And one of the things that's been super interesting to observe, even as a social experiment, frankly, has been, um, you know, we kind of call public actually the most verified social network, maybe in the history of social networks, because uh -huh. We are, you know, have a broker dealer and have a social network, which means that all the members of our social network, we have done KYC on, right? We've identified okay. them. We, mm -hmm. They are verified customers of the broker dealer too, right? And so there is no anonymity in public, right? Mm. And when you have a community made up of only verified people, you don't get the type of chatter that you're kind of referring to. You don't get the toxic pump and dump stuff, right? Um, mm. it, and, 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 and the tone is just, and the vibe and the, the, the whole conversation just changes so dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been super, super interesting to kind of think about and even kind of watching the Senate hearing. I think there was a couple of people like throwing around those ideas on Twitter. It's like, oh, you know, what if you just had everybody kind of verified and whatnot, right? Um, funny thing, we've, we've actually done that just for mm -hmm. the vertical that is kind of finance and investing. Mm -hmm. and, and that's been a, a really big part of making sure that people um, sort of stay on on their best behavior. On their, on their good. One more time, uh, we're going to go back just a little bit to the fractional because I think fractional ownership. So I think that's very interesting. If I want to buy, let's just keep it simple, half a share of Amazon, do I have yeah. to wait for another public participant to pick up the other half, or do you no. guys make? No, we, we, you know, I'm almost thinking like, yeah, yeah. No, we, we, so, so that's yeah. I mean, it's a good question because I think there's been other asset classes that's gone through some sort of fractionalization. Um, and, and there was a couple of other fractional things in the industry before us, but those were actually not processed in real time. So we maybe had to wait to the next day to get executed and whatnot. So, so um, if you place an order within market open, obviously we execute that order, even for half a share of Amazon, even for 0 0.0001 share of Amazon, we execute that in, in, in real time. Um, and then we basically take the risk on it. Uh, for the remainder part, right? But um, at this point, that risk in our community uh, on our books is like fairly small because mm. it's never it, it's never more than a single share of, of any of any company, if you will, right? You oh, got um, it. Of the, of, yeah. yeah. So the next time, two days later, someone else wants to buy some Amazon, then yep. you can sell portion <clears throat> exactly. of that to them. And oh, frankly, okay. like if you model it out, then the more so when we got started with this process, we were running basically a process where every week we, we went from 50 to 100 to 200 and we started doubling the new number of securities, uh, public trade companies that, that we were um, 
slicing up as we called it. So we yeah. call it slices um, within your app. And so the more we did that, the more diversified um, that sort of leftover balance became, if you will, right? And sure. so when you actually model out the risk, it, it's actually um, sort of, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fairly, um, it's, a, it's not riskless, of course, but, but <laughs> con considering the impact of what that allows us to do, we thought that that was well worth it um, in order to increase access to, to so many more people. Very interesting. What is the backstory? What were you doing before this or where'd the idea come from? Yeah, so I, I ran a fintech company in, uh, in, in, in Europe uh, between London and, and Copenhagen. We, we actually, there was a group of us that, that, uh, that um, was part of Saxo Bank, which was like the E-Trade mm -hmm. of, of Europe back in the, in the when, when kind of trading went online, to your point, mm -hmm. back when like uh, the minimum deposit was like $10,000, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so I started my career there. A bunch of us kind of left and we ended up building um, a few different kind of fintech companies together all within the kind of same group. Um, and so that uh, really gave me a lot of exposure to uh, many different things. One of the companies that I sort of incubated within the group and ran a CEO was called Tradable, which is uh, basically an API for third party developers to build software for financial institutions around the world for like a single mm. point of integration. And uh, and so basically CVH Group got acquired back in 2016. So it was like an eight year journey, uh, which I absolutely learned a, a ton from. And, and it was even, we actually started the company before FinTech was even really a, a term, to be honest with you. Uh -huh. <laughs> it kind of came halfway through that, right? And, 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 and I think on the, on the London scene, we're definitely the, one of the earlier kind of FinTech players, if you will. And, uh, and then I kind of went to the US after that um, it was funny because we actually started that company back in 07, 08. So uh, literally, um, I think the first, one of the first LPs we have was Lehman Brothers, you know, oh, wow. about uh -huh. four weeks, you know, and then, then they kind of went under. So we started that during all the, uh, the top of the, of the heydays and, and, and really have to navigate that market and kind of find our way, find a way out of that and, and try to turn that into kind of an opportunity, which, which we all do admittedly did with some of the business lines where we did some credit facilitation. That was actually kind of our first business credit facilitation over API between small and medium sized businesses and, and the big banks in London, which after 08 was like a lot of those SMBs couldn't really get credit lines with the big banks anymore because market mm -hmm. had, uh, and credit had dried up obviously. Um, and so there was a lot of stuff there that, that was kind of super interesting, but, but, but ultimately, um, after that came also the dot frank framework, which means that, you know, when you're operating mm -hmm. business in, in Europe and the U S it's two very different things. And, and so very few businesses are actually transatlantic like that. Um, and so we never really had much business in the U S and, um, I always obviously found the specifically the U S stock market to be super fascinating, given that it's the only market in the world that really has grown that sort of almost 10% year on year for the last hundred years. Um, sort of the, the Champions League of, of the stock market, if you will, like the mm -hmm, biggest companies mm -hmm. in the world obviously go and IPO there, whether they're from China or Europe or wherever. So um, so I had some ideas for that. I wanted to get involved in that. And then I, I kind of packed my bags and, and went over here and started that process. Awesome. Cool. Did layman's check clear before they uh, folded? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no. But but that didn't sink the ship that, that it didn't i mean yeah it was close um uh -huh. it did not uh it did not we we managed to work uh, i think with with like a, some of the other banks and the, the funny thing about how 
Canary Warforks or whatnot is like once we, I think 12 months later, we worked with one of the big UK banks. Um, and then 12 months later, we were one of the biggest uh, five clients globally. Okay. And, and so then after that, you know, we could build out the marketplace very easily because then we had kind of proven a lot of traction around that model. Cool, cool. All right. Let's talk about fundraising. Uh, how much have you guys raised and how many over how many rounds? We've raised 30 million in total uh, over basically three rounds. Um, cool. Let's go chronologically because I was looking at the angel round and I'm seeing some names on here like Will Smith and Sophia Amoruso and JJ Watt, the football American football star, JJ Watt. So yeah. uh, tell me about putting this round together and how'd you get these guys? And, and that was, yeah, that, that was actually in our most recent round. That was not even the angel round. Uh, really? okay. So yeah, we, we actually went a little backwards, uh, to be honest with you. So our first round um, was mainly, um, I, I teamed up with, with Ian Sigalow at, at Greycroft, who um, obviously um, was a very renowned sort of fintech investor given his involvement in, in Venmo. Um, he, had, he had done Acorns and others, but, but Venmo specifically was interesting because obviously they were the only financial product to have ever really... Um, you know, touched on, on sort of the social element mm, of finance. Right. And so, and, and so he had some learnings from, from being an early bagger of that company. And so that was kind of our first round, uh, the seed round, if you will. Then the series A was actually, again, Greycroft and Ian, but then he brought in Samir Gandhi at Excel, mm. who was the guy he had done Venmo with eight years prior. Okay. Right. Uh -huh. And so, so there was an early, theme there <laughs> which is very very clear um and i think at, at that point in time you know the product was still in beta so so it was not all the all the things we have now today we have like group messaging and the feed is like way more advanced and whatnot back then it was a little bit more just like the transaction lock mm -hmm. of your trades and your friends trades right and so it was very very it was reminding them a lot of that kind of venmo feed of payments yeah yeah, yeah sure. um and they were seeing like a similar kind of engagement with it and whatnot and so um and then basically uh, we did that while we were still kind of in beta. And so I think we always had like the, um, like the labels for us. And I think for any regulated companies, it's always going to be a little bit off because yeah. to build a broker dealer, like it's tough, right? Like you need to raise a lot of money just for, uh, just for the license, just to get yeah. people involved with the license. Then on top of that, you need money to build product. You need yeah. maybe a couple of bucks to have some sort of a go to market strategy that can kind of make a splice or whatnot so and i think that's the reason why there's been so such high kind of barriers to entry and and why um why it's, it's actually taken a while for the next wave of like because from where i'm sitting haven't been part of like the initial sort of online trading kind of era right mm -hmm. yeah like back in europe but it was very reflective of what was going on in the u.s um and so it, it then you kind of had mobile coming right and it's like it actually took a little bit of a, of, of a while, right, to, for the next phases to kind of really emerge, right, because then you had kind of mobile serial commission. And then I think we, we, we kind of tried to pioneer the next wave, which was uh, mobile fractional, right, and, uh -huh. and kind of democratization of, 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 of the stock market, we think. Um, huh. and, then, and then after, so then we, we actually launched a public um, in, for general kind of availability, launched out of beta in, in, in September of last year, I think. Okay. 
And so, um, and after that, um, that was also when we launched the kind of fractional piece. Um, we had some of the social elements and we kind of knew how things were looking then, but, but yeah. when we launched that, things really started to kind of take off and then we, um, uh, just grew very, very fast on the back of that. And that kind of started the conversation around the next round. Right. Um, and for us, I think it was always something that we, um, and something we actually still think about now and, and think about a lot, which is, I think a lot of people, um, there's kind of two ways that you can kind of think about your, your, your fundraising strategy, right? There are, there are people that raise, that try to push the valuation as fast as they can get it. Mm-hmm. And then they raise when they're about to run out of money, because then they feel that they basically pushed it as far in order to dilute as little as possible yeah. and then raise money. So we never really approached it like that. Um, we kind of thought about the company in different phases when different things are kind of proven to us. And when there are new undertakings that we want capital, new opportunities, basically we want to go after, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the way we kind of break it down is we have a macro thesis, right? Which is that um, at this day and age, there is no reason that everybody shouldn't be able to get involved with the stock market, right? In the age of mobile fractionalized kind of assets within the public markets and like a social education layer to make sure that people can, you know, become more and more educated around kind of uh, solid investing principles and things of that nature. Like we think the TAM of that market is way bigger than it was back uh, when you were just taking trading from the phone and kind of putting it online. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so we really have always seen public, um, as growing the size of the market more than anything, right? And we see that in the numbers. I think like nine out of 10 people that we onboard are either first time investors or have very limited investing experience. Mm -hmm. And so from our perspective, we always look, okay, there's the macro thesis of doing all that. And then we break that down into like a bunch of micro theses, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are the things that we then, that then need to happen, right? And then we look at things at actually that micro thesis kind of level and on, on the back of that, we do our fundraising, right? Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. and so you know, um, so like current runway has very little to actually do with that. It's really more a matter of like, okay, now we've proven one thesis. thesis. Mm-hmm. We sort of have, have the next thing here we want to get into. Uh, and then we start planning how much capital we need to go after that sort of micro thesis opportunity. And then we raise the money to go and do that. And, and then that's kind of how it, it, it has been evolving. Um, for us. Interesting. Is it, and these macro, th- these sort of theses that you're sort of, cause I, this is a, a new strategy. I've never really heard people talk about like this before. So I want to poke at it a little bit. Are these different theses that you're sort of thinking of a fundraising around around like fractionals one socials another, I mean, is it kind of product driven or is it more um, new markets or, or what? Or um, I mean, yeah. obviously at the end of the day, uh, a lot of it becomes very product, right? Because products, uh, sort of big items in the product roadmap, uh, ends up opening up new, new kind of markets or maybe, or maybe new segments, not necessarily geographical markets, because for us as a broker dealer, that's more of a, of a, of a regulatory concern. Yeah. But, um, but, but if you look at segments within the market that you could kind of go after, right. Um, then it's more, because again, in theory, anyone above the 18 can be a, a public user above the age of 18. So it's a very broad set of markets. So we had to kind of think about how we break the market down and who we're really going after at which point in time um, and who we're kind of building the product out for and how the product kind of evolves. And, and so, um, and so, yeah, ultimately, obviously 
product mobile app is a critical sort of uh, compass in, mm-hmm. in, 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 in defining out those kind of micro theses. Um, but like I said, there are also regulatory things for us keeping yeah. uh, obviously in a very highly regulated space and, and even team, right? Like I think that's the other thing, you know, we've, um, we, we've gone through a couple of things where we started, uh, obviously where, where we kind of reorganized the team. Um, I think we're, we're very big on, um, me and, and life, my, my sort of co-founder, Chrissy, we we're very big on, um, taking sort of the temperature of not just how much technical depth or, or kind of product depth or but also like organizational depth. Right. And I mm. think it's something that you haven't, I mean, I guess Ben Horowitz talked about a little bit in his book, but, but outside of that, you know, people don't talk a lot about it. I feel, I feel it's hugely important. And, and obviously, so, so even just like thinking about like, do you then have like resources and the capital to put the team together that you need to go after this next kind of micro thesis, right? Yeah. It probably actually mm-hmm. starts there. And then obviously product is one concern and kind of regulation is one concern. So you can kind of break it up in those three verticals for a company that's in a space like ours. I have a couple little kind of tangential questions. Then I want to get back to sure. fundraising for a minute, but one is, you know, for anyone in the audience, listeners who are maybe in fintech, just so they can think about it, what does it cost roughly ballpark to, to get a broker dealer license? Like, you know, cause that's a big part of being in a regulated space. You've got to have the resources for that. What's the sort of, you don't have to say your exact number, but like, how um, you- yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to depend on a number of things. Right. But I would say it's, it's probably from a couple million dollars to a few million dollars, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I mean, but it's, again, it's, it's, you know, all these things don't come equal. If you look actually on broker check on Finver, then there's like a number of different check. There's sort of a checklist with a number of different sort of properties of the license that you can have. Then there's the matter of how many states you're regulated in. So it's not, it's not just like a binary question like that. Like you're not just fully regulated or not, uh, so to say, but, but I think, um, but yeah, that's, that would probably be my, my kind of ballpark estimate. Sure. Another tangent. I, I totally understand the social feed for a stock app. I never quite understood the social feed for like Venmo. Can you give any reason why I would want to post my uh, pain, my, my gardener on and put that on social? <laughs> I never, I never got it. It's a great service. Um, yeah. It's it. actually funny. So, so, you know, Mike Vaughn, shout out to Mike who, who, who was the COO at Venmo. Uh, is at this point a, a, a good friend of mine and, and an advisor to the company and, and has been very helpful in many respects. And I think it was even the case of like when I first interacted with him around our public was like, it's like, yeah, actually like that really adds a lot more layers, right? And so I think it, it initially like that Venmo thing was like very, like you would see somebody on Twitter being like, oh, kind of Venmo for, you know, stock investing and whatnot. Uh, now I think it's it's growing to become much more of that. We now have kind of uh, chat groups, right? We have uh, sort of uh, direct messaging in the app. The feed is now just more than trades, right? They're like there's a lot of different kind of things there. And we have news articles in there on companies. So if yeah. you and I both own Apple, for instance, right? Uh, and Apple launches a car tomorrow, you know, we'll probably get that piece of news in our feed and we can both kind of comment on that. And so it also becomes a way for me to then see what like-minded investors are thinking about the news about the, about the companies that they sure. own. And that really lets me not just see news around stocks in my portfolio, but it lets me sort of see how people are reacting to those news, how other verified investors that we totally. as public have verified are actually investors in that company, because at the end of the day, I could just tap your, your name and I can see your portfolio, right? Um, 
and so and 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 that brings a lot more kind of layers to it. Um, so for the for the Venmo thing, I don't know, maybe tweet at the mic and then yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably just missing something. I mean, it's a great service. I never quite got the the social, but I know. do think it's fun as a as a as someone consuming the feed. I never post it very publicly to that feed either. But but for someone consuming it, I think it's fun, and I think the 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 the, the number one interesting thing that I always found was like every social graph um, tells you something about people. Right. And, sure. mm. and I think if you go a couple of years back, even everybody was like, Oh, social it's over, you know, Facebook, they, they, they want, they, they, they have everything. It's never going to change in the next hundred years. And, um, and you could see why they think that way given their growth. I mean, it's been astonishing, but then suddenly you have, um, the emergence of what uh, what I call kind of verticalized social networks, and Venmo was actually one of the first ones of that. Mm. Where I can learn something, sure. I can learn something from the Venmo feed that I cannot learn off of Facebook or Instagram. Namely, yeah. who's having lunch together, right? Who went golfing? Who 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 are in a fantasy football league together? Like it was all yeah. these kind of different things. And I think um, that's that was the key when we looked at the Venmo kind of um case you know that was the key takeaway for us it's like okay what can you learn about people on public that you'll never be able to learn elsewhere right and yeah. one of the big things that i believe has been a, a big factor to sort of um to 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 public has been you know people kind of vote with their dollars a little bit like they invest in the companies that they believe in for the future and so yeah. that gives you data points about people they're actually very fundamental and core to even like their beliefs as human beings that you cannot mm. get on any other kind of social network. Right. And that's, totally. yep. that's been the super interesting thing about building a social network where people have linked their assets that they actually hold right. and along with the thesis and the reason of why they're holding those companies. Interesting. One more quickie then back to fundraising and then I'll let you go back to work. But uh, the domain public is amazing. What was, I'm assuming you purchased it. What was it being used for before? Is there any story? In there? <laughs> I don't think it was being used for anything. Um, and uh, yeah, the, I mean, look, the story is uh, it was owned by by someone we um, luckily live. I have to get all credit to him on this one. He 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 is. Uh, I think uh, I I never really found out from him, but I, I have a feeling he has a very decent internet real estate portfolio, if you will. Mm. <laughs> Um, and so he, he, um, he was basically, let's just say very good with kind of domain names and, and knew a little bit about that market. And I mean, that, that is an interesting market, right? Because it's a little bit like, it's not super transparent. It actually, in a, in a strange way, reminds me a little bit about the art market in a way, right? Mm. Like you never really, it all goes through brokers. You never really know kind of who's buying what and whatnot. Sure. Um, and, and so, um, that was like a tough deal to, to kind of pull off, especially, at that point in time. Um, but I do think that, um, to be honest, I think it's been a super worthwhile um, acquisition, which, and, and, and that's really how you have to see it. it it's an asset purchase, right? It's not yeah. like a cost that much, you know? <laughs> and so, um, but I think, I think it's important for a number of reasons, right? We always wanted, um, so if you go to public.com slash Yannick right now, you can see my portfolio, right? Oh, Even on the web. And so we, we started to see people already putting public.com slash your username in their Twitter bios and this, that, and the other before we had hello public. Right. And so that's cool. just a very long thing. And so we also thought about it and it's like, Hey, if we can have a shorter domain name, 
it's like a good domain name, then 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 more people are going to put that into their um, into their profiles on on other social networks, right? You mm, can, yeah. People on AngelList be like, hey, this is my private portfolio. This is where I do my public investing, right? Oh, and then the name obviously just lends itself very well to the public markets, obviously, right? And and then um, and also touches a little bit on the whole social kind of thesis of us wanting to make more information kind of public within the yeah. public markets, right? To basically democratize the sort of the reasons why people make the moves that they make um, within the stock market. Do you buy a, a trophy domain like that after Series A or after Series B? Like when, when do you when do you buy a, a nice trophy domain? And you don't have to share how much you paid, but if you want to, that's fine too. <laughs> we bought it, I believe, uh, we started negotiating for it before Series A. Okay. And then, um, and then, oh, sorry, actually after, but again, our, our Series A was kind of early because of the whole broker dealer thing, right? So our Series A, we were still in beta. Um, so like our, our Series B, if you will, which is maybe more real, our, our more real Series A, we started negotiating for it. And then um, our investors actually also came to us. So that round with Will and JJ and Sophia, like those names you mentioned there, those, they were actually the only new investors. The rest was internal yeah. investors, all of it. Um, but we wanted to bring in some people who really believed in our mission, uh, what it stood for, and wanted to be part of building financial literacy for the next generation of investors. Um, and so those were kind of the only people that we uh, that, that we had invest other other than existing investors. And so knowing that, yeah, we 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 kind of then I think we pulled the trigger once we knew that okay, like this round is kind of coming together. And it's this is obviously not the top. This could be a separate podcast about buying trophy domains, but like uh, <laughs> I think it's always interesting if you're if you're the seller of a domain sees that you, a company just raised a lot of money, does the price now shoot up? Right? Like how do you sort of right. stable? I don't know. Well, I think that's why a lot of the that's why a lot of the industry wants through brokers, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who help broker the deals. Um, yeah. So it's 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 not yeah. So let's Similar just to the odd world actually. Let's um, get back to the, the most recent round. So, you know, how and why did you bring in JJ Watt and, uh, and Sophia and, and these, these guys? Interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, like, like I said, I think we, we had some conversations with them and they were very, again, it comes back to us wanting to change the culture around the stock market, right? Sure. And so we kind of thought about, okay, um, and there's a lot of different definitions of kind of culture in companies and communities, but ultimately um, culture is made of, is made up by people, right? It's made up of people and their actions. Um, and so therefore we kind of thought about who would be people who obviously are fit with our mission, who believe in what we're doing, who wants to help push this forward and who then obviously have a profile and a platform where they can help kind of amplify that message. And then uh, that's how we get uh, kind of off with, uh, with those three and, uh, there was actually a, a handful of others, Casey Neistat, um, and and uh, you know Cher Redstone from Advanced Capital, who was the uh, mm. the, the Viacom CBS. So, um, so it was just a good group of people to really help us kind of um, put a bigger message out around wanting to change the culture of the stock market and have it be something that is truly for everyone and and not just something who's for. Um, for people who are already uh, super literate and just wants to jump in and, and also maybe maybe day trade a lot more. Like we don't really allow day trading on the platform. That's not really like mm. most like 74% I think of our community are long-term investors, right? And so sure. it's really this mix of people investing for the long-term but then staying engaged around their portfolio by way of like the, the, the social sort of education layer. 
how do you two two part question and almost done, but how do you identify like I like that thesis like how do, let's find people who can have a platform who can bring money who you know fits our culture, but how do you identify that j j Watt is one of those people, and then how do you get in touch with will Smith and j j Watt like how do you you know so yeah, in those two stories, the two of things uh, one was through existing investors you know who kind of knew somebody and so through those networks right I think um, and then basically uh, we kind of knew that JJ had been involved um, in a lot of different um, social group work too and and, mm, and, and, yeah. and, and uh, he just seemed like someone who uh, would like uh, what we're trying to build with public and ultimately what we stand for and that was very evident from the first um, from the first kind of call uh, and then with will uh, you know um, it was it was through kind of different channels but again through relationships ultimately and and again that was also really about finding that fit. And I guess there's no real silver bullet there, to be honest. Um, I did remember hopping on a flight to LA. Um, so, you know, that kind of helps, I guess, but, but yeah, it's, it, it's, there's no real silver bullet there. You kind of have to, because like you can know a lot about, about these people from reading about them online, but, but, but only so much. Right. And so yeah. you really have to kind of uh, start a conversation and, and, and kind of put out, like show your cards and be like, Hey, this is what we want to build. This is what we think is important, you know, um, and, sure. and ultimately, again, we also, we always came from the fact of like, Hey, everybody should start investing early, right. To be able to compound more, as they go along, right. If the average age in, in five years for people that got involved in the stock market is still like late thirties, then we would not have really succeeded in our mission. Mm -hmm. um, we want to get people starting earlier to basically build and that their investments compound earlier. Right. And, and, and um, we think the effect that can have on the overall economy is pretty, pretty drastic on a, on a on a sort of 20 30 year outlook yeah um, and then it really started from there and, and then yeah having those conversations uh, do you change your pitch or do you have any tips if you're a founder lucky enough to get a meeting with a celebrity investor you know any tips for sort of uh approaching these folks they must just get bombarded I, like how do you yeah i think i don't know i mean yeah it's tough but but i i think uh the one thing I will say, and I actually uh, learned this, I remember this from Chris Saka. I met him kind of once back in Copenhagen and, and um, he had this whole, he did this little presentation for the Copenhagen story community called stories over spreadsheets. And he, his thing was always, I invest in stories, not spreadsheets. Uh, and I think that's very true with like those types of investors, right? It's like, you know, they obviously like, um, and, I, and I actually think he popularized that a lot. And I think maybe today you could actually like it would maybe be better with more people with more buttoned up spreadsheets, right? It's like, I do think failing to plan is, is planning to fail ultimately. And so, um, but, but, but I do think it's like, you know, um, these people like are, are generally, um, you need a mission that they can identify yeah. with, right? It's, it's, it's missionaries, not mercenaries. Right. And, and sure. I think, uh, obviously someone like, you know, well, like they're not in there to, to kind of, uh, flip a quick buck kind of thing. Um, it, it's really to, uh, and so you need your mission to really stand for something and you need to really kind of think that through. I actually had his partner uh, of, of Dreamers on this show. So yeah, I didn't okay. have Will on the yeah. show, but yeah. Um, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, cool. I think we're about done. Any any tips, any last tips, uh, general advice you'd like to, to share that we haven't covered or any advice you would give your younger self if you were starting this process all over again? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, like I said, there's really no silver bullet to this thing. I think it's a lot of hard work, unfortunately, that's, and so basically I would say, 
um, you know, you have to go through a lot of things. I think your pitch always evolves a little bit, especially the first time you're kind of fundraising. And so, you know, I, I always just got started early, you know, it's like, Hey, at, 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 just to get feedback on the idea, frankly. Right. And then yeah. if it's great, because then you go into a meeting with a win-win, sure. it's intimidating. It can be intimidating front right? Especially if you're a first time founder. Right. And so it's yeah. like, if you go into it uh, with just the goal of getting feedback, then it's going to be a win-win. You're either going to get feedback or you're going to get uh, a check. And, and, sure. you know, if that, if that's your mindset, then I feel like you are going to be, um, more inclined to just kind of go for it. Good stuff. All right. If people want to learn awesome. more, it's simply public.com. And if they want to check out your portfolio, public.com, Yannick. Um, yes. Cool. Good stuff. Um, anything you want to promote or plug any job recs or new, new features, new We're products? definitely hiring uh, in a bunch of roles. Just go to public.com, look for careers and, um, and obviously, yeah, uh, sign up for the platform at public.com too. And, Start building your portfolio. Hiring in? Are you hiring in New York or, or Denmark or or is both. it virtual? What's the? Uh, both. Yeah. All three. All three. <laughs> so to say. Yeah, definitely. Cool. We're hiring in a bunch of things. So yeah. Awesome, sir. I like it. Great mission. I love this fo sort of focus on mission and story. Um, and uh, I'll check it out. I, I need to. I used to be a stock analyst like way back when, and I've sort of like the more I get into entrepreneurship, the the more I kind of pull back from like stock trading, but you know, it sounds like a cool, cool platform very much. All right, sir. Thank you. We'll cool. catch you after your, right. your next round. Thanks, Nathan. Take Bye. Care.